Would you pray with me as we start our word this morning? Father God, thank you for today. Lord, we just press pause for a moment to focus on you, to believe that your word is living, that is true, that's alive and well. And Lord, I know that your word is sharp. And Lord, I pray today, cut off any pieces of us, God, that uh, do not reflect the, the vibrancy, the, the energy, the love, the passion uh, for your Son, Jesus Christ, and for you, God. I pray you would just awaken us, re, uh, uh, invigorate us, God, to who you are, what you've done for us, God. Let there be nothing dead or um, birthed out of just religion or uh, religiosity in us. God, we know that we live in a very religious area in the Bible Belt, God, and I pray there would just be a renewal, a refreshing, an awakening, God, to who you are, and Lord, that we would not live out of just painful obedience, but it be a willing and a joyful sacrifice, God, to worship and to give and to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, we are getting back into the words in red, and the title of this morning's message is Eight Hypocrites in Hell. That sounds scary, but I promise we're going to get through this. Eight Hypocrites in Hell. Uh, how many people like authentic things, right? Right? I love Taco Bell, but it is not Mexican food, right? It just doesn't, I, love, I could eat Mexican food every day. Uh, and I could, I could eat Taco Bell, too, but there's just something about authentic. And uh, house number 23 in Leinster Gardens in Baywater, London. And we've got a picture. Looks like any other house on the block. It's got the same steps, the same white columns, the beautiful balcony, large wood door. But nobody ever comes out of house number 123. Or, sorry, house number 23. There's neither a doorbell nor a letterbox. No one ever peers out of the windows nor sits in its balcony. Why? Because house number 23 is called the house that never was. It's a five-foot thick facade whose doors and windows are merely painted on a cement wall. Behind this beautiful facade lies nothing but a network of train tracks, and behind it an entrance to an old steam tunnel that was built in the 1860s by the Metro Railway of London meant to hide the entrance to an open subway and keep the harmonious look of the beautiful street. Every now and then, a fresh coat of paint is applied to house number 23 to keep it looking exactly as the other buildings. And to the common passerby, the visitor of London, number 23 looks right at home. And you can't even tell in this picture. One of this is a real house, and the other is fake. I don't think until... Perhaps the last several years, you know, I've grown up in church my whole life, and I've been in ministry going on 10 years now, and I don't think over, until just recently, over the last several years, have I really begun to understand the gospel. Uh, And that really means to me, it, it means that I really haven't, really, I look back at my life, and I look back even just a few years ago, and I didn't understand God's love like I do now. And there's just something about that. And the word hypocrite means pretender, deceiver, liar. And it really comes from this root word uh, to mean one who acts or one who pretends. And we actually, uh, it's kind of like the theater. That young man or that young woman who plays that role on that big movie screen, probably in real life, can't do all those kung fu ninja moves that they look like they can. Or really, you know, uh, Star Wars, they don't have the force, then they can't move anything with their mind. You know, there's, there's a lot of things... Uh, that it's pretend, right? And this duplicity, this acting, this pretending, that's really where we get the word hypocrite from. 
It's theater. It's all theater. And then, if you look with me, would you turn to Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. How will we feel tomorrow? And that's kind of where I'm asking myself, man, I see the love of God more clearly now than I ever have before, but I know that there's got to be more that I don't see now, that I want to. Uh, In Matthew, Jesus says in 22, verse 37, he says, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And second, it's equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. And we're in the context this morning. We're going to kind of go jump back and, and look at what Jesus was doing. In this passage, he's talking to the religious people here. This question is posed to him. They're trying to trick him. The religious elite are coming around. They're seeking to kill Jesus. And he's teaching this not only to his disciples, but the religious traditionalists. And he says to them, love the Lord your God with everything, everything. And then equally love your neighbor as yourself. Why is Jesus teaching this? And I love what Matthew Henry said. He said, for nothing is more opposite to the spirit of the gospel than men of pride, worldliness, and tyranny who hide it under a cloak and a pretense of religion. I'll say that again. There's nothing more in opposition to the gospel than our pride, worldliness, and tyranny when it's hidden underneath religion. And this morning we're going to kind of look at some things and ask ourselves, is our radical, is our radical devotion, is our uh, Christianity simply religion? Is our radical religion, is our devotion really only denomination And are we really giving God our everything and nothing less, worship team? Everything. We we were playing a song this morning, everything and nothing less. Is our radical religion, is our devotion, denomination? The Pharisee, who are these guys he's talking to? Uh, He tells them in Matthew 23, 3, he says, Hey, do what these guys say, but don't do what they do. These guys were the conservative teachers and preachers of the law. Uh, They sat kind of in a place of authority. There was different groups that led the Jewish religion in the days. There's the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Essenes, and the Zealots, okay? Those are the four major groups. And the Pharisees were the ones, when everybody else was falling away, and everybody else got liberal and secularist, and some were really, really radical, and they were all more political, and some were more, hey, let's go out into the desert, and let's just hide until Jesus comes. And some were like, hey, let's just compromise, and we stay in power. The Pharisees were really the revivalists. They were the ones, they were like, no, let's get back to the law. Let's purify ourselves from all the things that are going on in this world, and let's get back to reading the Bible, uh, going to the temple, going to synagogue, Uh, doing all the things that God has called us to do. But one of the things that they did was they began to say, we've got to be careful not to do what the rest of the world is doing, so let's put all these additional laws or traditions and verbal things in there on top of it to keep us safe. In a sense, they gave people a lot of bubble wrap to put around them so they wouldn't accidentally break the law. And the heart behind it is kind of good, right? It's like, hey... Uh, we want to be really careful not to be like these heathens. All of the people who are leading the temple right now, they're all like this with Rome. They're, they're buddy buddies with Rome. They're, they're bribes and all the Sadducees, and they're being bribed, and uh, the leaders of the temple, they're, they're corrupt. They're, they're murderers. They're adulterers. They're hypocrites. And so we Pharisees, we are 
the back to the movement. We're back to the Bible movement. We're ready to, to really purify God's people for His coming. But at the same time, Jesus comes to these very, these very ones. And He says, you are hypocrites. He says, you've got to love the Lord with everything and love your neighbor as yourself. Why did He charge these with hypocrisy? We're going to look today at probably one of the most rough passages that Jesus ever said. Look, turn with me, Matthew 23, verse 13. These are some harsh words, and I would feel very bad if Jesus ever said anything like this to me because Jesus gets kind of downright ugly if you really want to get down to it. He's, he, he is calling names out of the pew here. Uh, and, but he's going to do it out of a sense of love. And you have to see that in his words. And let's look at this today. There are eight woes, eight charges of hypocrisy, I believe, that still hold true today, that we should take a lesson on. This is in the Bible for a reason, that we should be aware. May there not be any of these traits nor signs in our life. It's so very easy to go through the motions, but even more than that, it's so very easy to become so uh, pridefully religious that we are unaware, even in our good attempts to follow Jesus, that religion and religiosity can so easily sleep, uh, sneak in. I was going to go through these one at a time, but as quick as we can. Matthew 28, verse 23, verse, or chapter 23, verse 13. He says, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from a people, and you do not enter yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. There's one hypocrite that we could say would be in hell today, and those are the ones who claim but they do not conform. They're claiming, but they're not conforming. What does that look like today? These guys preached all the Scriptures that the Messiah was coming. Think of it. They preached all the Scriptures that the Messiah was coming, but yet denied it when He came. Think about this. Their personal prejudice hindered them from following Christ. There are many people today who have grown up in the truth of God's Word, but are turned away and now are leading their children to hell. You know it? I know dozens of people who are now leading their children in rebellion against God's Word, even though they know better. They grew up in it. There are parents and tell their children to go to church because they know it's a good thing to do and they should go, but the parents themselves never go. That's hypocrisy. There are those who tell their co-workers, hey, you know, Jesus is the way, you really should go there, but yet they're not willing to follow Him fully themselves. There are those that profess church membership with one breath on a Sunday morning, but then go to work on Monday and then tear down their co-workers behind their back. There are those that claim it, but they're not willing to conform to it. And Jesus is telling here, and we look at this and say, man, there are those that look at, uh, look at these, these claimers, and they say, man, if that's a Christian, I don't really want to know Christ. These guys are mean, they're rude, they're selfish. wonder what church they go to. I hope that you don't have your sanctuary t-shirt on if you're one of those people. Matthew Henry says, We can pull down in our practice what we build up in our preaching. You can so easily pull down in your practice what you're building up in your preaching. Look at this, claiming but not conforming. But here's the good news. The Bible says that though the proud, that he will keep the proud in... Sorry, sorry. The proud in spirit may keep themselves out of the kingdom of heaven, but Jesus says, come on, poor in spirit, you can enter in. 
We are proud in spirit. We'll keep ourselves out of heaven. But the good news is Jesus lets in the poor in spirit. He opens the door. He is the way to God's grace. Jesus is the way. That's the good news. No man can enter in but through him. And so I may be proud in spirit, but God, make me poor and hungry and destitute in spirit. God, that I know that I need you. You're the only one. I don't want to be a claimer. I want to conform to his image. Amen? Another person who may be in hell today is those that are of show but not of substance. They're of show but not of substance. He says, verse 14, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense you make long prayers, and therefore you'll receive a greater condemnation. Pharisees did everything they wanted to do, everything they could to be noticed by people. I don't think it was necessarily conscious, perhaps, but they prayed these long prayers to be noticed. And Jesus isn't condemning long prayers. He's condemning the heart behind the long prayer, right? And he says, hey, you guys are reading the scriptures about having God's law. And they read these scriptures that said, have God's law on your mind. What they did is they built these little box and they put scriptures in it and they stuck them on your forehead. The bigger the box, the more you knew about God, right? And they put them on their arms. Another thing that they did is that uh, Jews were called to be a peculiar people, and God told them in the law, hey, put some tassels on your robe and, and a hem or a border, uh, and you'll remind yourself to be different. And so what does the Pharisees do? They make extra long tassels, and they want to be the really peculiar people. How many know some really peculiar people, right? Okay. They, no, but it's not like that. They're like, They're going above and beyond, but yet it's in the mindset of pride. You know, we have to be careful, church. Sometimes we know that we're doing good things for God, and it's easy to be prideful in the things that we're doing for God, right? I think about people who are super spiritual today. Man, these guys are at every conference. They are posting Scripture online every day on Facebook. They are sharing all of those pictures uh, from other people, And, and they're praying at length, but, you know, there's no substance, there's no substance to their lives. They, they love the hype of the revival movement, but there's no holiness to their life. They're just floating and, 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 and flickering between different uh, fires, and you could call them wildfire with no substance. And I look at the church today, and I see that so many are, would say, hey, my church is so great, my pastor is so great, but yet I look at their life and they're not involved at all in their church. I find that ironic. My church is so great, I love my church, but yet they're not serving in any ministry, and I don't know what their tithing record might be. But we look at today, and he's saying, there's show, but not substance. Perhaps they're not ready to submit to authority, or they're not faithful enough to commit. They love the service, perhaps, but they love not the sinner. There's good news, though. Jesus, and this honorable Son of God, humbled Himself to die for us. Man, who am I really seeking to please with my Christianity? Think about it. The Son of the Most High God humbled Himself for me. Why would I want to please anybody else but Him first, right? The good news is that God sent His Son, and He sent His Son, and He gave us substance. He gave us the Word, something we can really live our life on, something that's going to get us through every dark, weary day. And I don't have to be all show because I have enough to eat on right here. I have, there's something worth munching on for a while. There's something worth letting it satisfy my soul. And I don't have to have a life that's all show if I got a life that's all substance. Amen? And I look at this today. The good news is my life all about performance or is it all about purpose? 
Is the church all about me? Is it my fun, my church family club, or do I care about a world that's lost and dying and going to hell? Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, those who mourn over their sin, because they'll be comforted. And Paul says, if I have not love, I am nothing. Show, but not substance. Look at the third one, perhaps in hell today, programming, but not producing. Those who are all about the program, but not about what they're producing. Verse 15, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You travel around on seed and land, make one proselyte, that's a convert, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourself. Whew! Man, that's stepping on some toes right there, right? Come on now. You, I mean, think about it, right? You're a good church-going person. Jesus comes up there and says, Hey, ugh, you know? Lord, help us. And so what is happening here? He's saying, you're all about the program, but you're not really producing anything. Lord, help us if our church is all about having a bunch of ministries and committees and meetings, but yet we never reach anybody for Jesus Christ. It's got to be about what we're producing, church. It's not about a show. It's not about pastor's performance on a stage or a good worship team or a good message or, or hey, we've got a great thing is going on and, hey, we gave a bunch of money to missions. That's great. But are we producing something? Or is there a living thing that is fruitful inside of us? I think about uh, those today that follow the church program more than the Holy Spirit. It's more man's design than God's design. I think about those that, that they, if the church program would leave today, if the structure, if the religiosity, if the strict rules dissipated, they wouldn't follow Jesus anymore. They wouldn't know what to do. They feel like they have to have that legalism in their life to make them Go to church to make them obey, to make them uh, follow God. Jesus says every good tree will bear good fruit and every bad tree will bear bad fruit. And I don't want, if this all ended tomorrow, would you and God still have church every Sunday? If you and God were alone on a desert island, would you still be faithful and fruitful would you still have that passion for Him? If it was just you and you were like an Elijah or an Elisha of your day and everybody else fell away from God and you were the last Christian on earth, would we still be faithful, accountable, zealous for God? It's not about the program. It's about the programmer, the one who changes our hearts, who molds us and shapes us into His image, who fills with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says, guys, the meek will inherit the earth. He says, we look at the Word today and we can understand we have a joyful obedience because Jesus came to lighten our burdens. Church attendance, tithing, serving, none of them are programs. They are acts of worship. Acts of worship. And do I use the religious system today to think that I'm going to heaven? Is that church attendance, is that tithing... Measurement of things that say I'm Christian? Or is it really that there's something on the inside burning deep within me, that fire shut up within my bones that says, God, I just am all about you. doesn't matter what the church looks like, does, or doesn't do. I'm just all into you, Jesus. I'm just excited about you, Jesus. I'm willing to go wherever you go, Jesus. It's a joyful, willing obedience. The producer... But the programmer relies on the system to make them feel good about themselves. There's the fourth one who'd say they're all about talk, but no truth. This one would be about talk, but no truth. He says in verse 16, he says, Woe to you blind guides who say, Whoever swears by the temple, that's nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple, you're obligated. These Pharisees, they were using different levels of oaths. 
Basically saying, hey, if you make a promise by the gold of the temple, it really means like you have to follow through with it. But if you just do a little pinky promise and you tell somebody, I'm going to be there, I'm going to mow your yard, or I'm going to pay that bill, then you may or may not be obligated. That's just between you, right? And, that, and it was like, how can we be people of truth when we're breaking all of our promises? And what Jesus discovers, he's saying, you're really putting that weight on the gold versus the temple of God. So that tells me your heart's really all about greed and gold. And you don't value the presence and the place of God's inhabitation. And so he looks at this and he says, how can we be people of truth? You're just a bunch of talk. There's no truth to you. You know, some can go to church on Sunday morning saying one thing and then go out and saying another. God's got to be the real priority. James tells us in verse chapter 3, verse 10, he says, From the same mouth come both, both blessing and cursing. But brethren, these things should not be this way. How can we praise God on one breath and that yet curse our family, our friends, our co-workers the next? How in one breath can we praise God and how in one breath can we speak gossip and negativity and uh, pessimism and sarcasm and all these things? He's saying, guys, are we just a bunch of talk? Are we people who have truth right here? And if I'm going to be speaking the Word of God to someone, and they need to be able to rely on me. They need to be able to trust me. They don't need to be able... I need to be a person of my Word. You know, quite, quite frankly, there are a lot of people who have the talk, but I would never trust them with my child. Why? Because they don't have the integrity of the truth that comes with it. Right? Just be honest. There are a lot of people I would not give my child to who are a Christian. Come on. Am I the only parent in this room? Some of y'all, I don't know who your babysitters are. Anyway, (laughs) are we people of integrity, people of truthfulness, that when I say yes, I mean yes. And when I say I'm going to be there, I'm going to be there. And if I say I'm going to pay that, I'm going to pay it. Right? You can't speak the word of God that is the supreme truth and then be a person of falsehood. It doesn't work. It doesn't mix. And Jesus is pulling this out of the Pharisees. He says, hey, you're using your religion to make it be that you're truthful. But that's going to fade away. Where is your truth? Where is the center of your life, the moral compass? He's saying, you've got to be a believable person, a person whose life is sanctified, just like your speech. Amen? Man, there's a good news, though, in all of that, that Christ is trustworthy. His word never fails. He never gives up. He, he never forgets to rescue you. And when he says he's going to be there for you, he's going to be there for you. Man, and if I have a God like that, and if I have a God who is trustworthy and truthful and faithful and generous and kind, and he's good to his word, then I need to be a person that that is so rooted down deep inside of me that the truth just comes out of me, that I'm a person who says, God, I'm going to be faithful because you're faithful, that I'm going to be truthful because, God, you're truthful, and it starts from within, that Christ is trustworthy Sunday through Saturday. And he says, blessed are the hungry, those that are hungry for holiness, because they're going to be filled. I don't know about you, but I want to be filled with the truth of God's Word. I want to be like the temple that these guys weren't promising, making promises on. That temple, that is the indwelling place of the Holy Spirit. Paul says, you and I are the temple of the Holy Spirit. I want to be the dwelling place. 
I don't want to just be making a life of looking at religion and say, measure my life by this system of rules or regulations or whether I go to church or not. I want to be a life that is living because the Holy Spirit is dwelling inside of me. That I could say, I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. And I don't, it's not all about all this. It's about right here. God's living inside of me. And because of that, I'm a person of truth. You can count on us because we're Christian. Amen? Shouldn't it be that case? We should be the most truthful people in all the world. They should see it on the news. Man, if you want to make an agreement or a rental property or whatever, make a loan from, make sure you find a Christian because those people are people of truth. Shouldn't that be our reputation? Amen. The fifth person you might find in hell today is one who is all about sacrifice but not surrender. And again, these are those who should know better. We're not talking about people in the world. We're talking about people in the church. Those who know about sacrifice but not surrender. He says, verse 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You tithe the mint and the dill and the cumin, but you've neglected the weightier provisions of the law like justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things that you should have done without neglecting the others. You are blind guys. You're straining out a net and swallowing a camel. Never tried that before. I don't think it worked too well, Right? Weightier. Man, I'm so glad that you are not putting in salt and pepper and sugar in your offering plate this morning. Right? They're tithing on. He's saying, you're going to the very cent and dime and dollar of your tithe to make sure you give God everything. Right? Uh, man, I don't know. Somebody mowed my, or I mowed somebody's yard this week and I make sure they paid me 1907 and I want to make sure I get every cent of that back to God, right? And they get to this point where, man, I want to make sure, oh, did I do that or did I not do that or make sure, you know what was happening? They were majoring on the minors is what Jesus is saying. Majoring on the minors. And Peter Haas in his book, Pharisectomy, which I'd recommend to you all to read, he says, you can have a correct theology but not be in step with God. Think about it. You can know it all but not really know what you're really doing. Right? He's saying you can have a correct theology but not really be in step with God. Think about it. You can give all of your money to God but never give yourself. You can give all of your money to God but never give yourself. You can memorize dozens of scriptures but never know them. Right? You can memorize dozens of scriptures but never know them. You can preach about hell while condemning yourself. You can tell the world they're going to hell. You can tell everybody what sin and sin isn't and still be in sin yourself. doesn't really make a difference. It says that 10% today, church, is no longer good enough. You know the 10% we talk about in Malachi in the Old Testament? That was the minimum. There was a 10% that you had to give, and then beyond that they had festivals and offerings and celebrations. Those people were given, probably when you factor it out, they were probably given 25 to 40% of their, their offering their salary to God. By time, all the rules and regulations came from the Pharisees. Many of them were giving much more. 40%, 50% perhaps. 10% is not what it's all about. God wants you. He wants you. He don't need your money. He wants you. He wants your everything. He wants you to have a faithful heart, a loving heart. He wants you to be just like Him. He's not concerned about majoring on the minors. Micah tells us in chapter 6, verse 8, the Lord prefers you to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with Him more than even doing a single sacrifice. He would be happy because you know why? If you walk humbly, if you do justice, if you love mercy, you're going to be sacrificing yourself. 
You're going to be giving it all to God. And you know what? Our life is not about 10% anymore in the New Testament. It's about 100%. God, you have all of me. What else do you want? God, it's not about a number or a figure or the do's or the don'ts. It's about, God, what have I left to give? How much more can I give to you, God? Jesus frees us from this law, this religiosity, and He gives us spiritual principles now to follow the Holy Spirit into right living. It's, it's because, church, we have been pardoned from so much that we should give so much. We've been pardoned for so much that this obedience can grow within us because of a living faith. And it's because of His great mercy that we've been given that now we can give great mercy to that lost sinner, that new convert that comes into our church and say, you know what? I was uh, like a reprobate on, on the path and the highway to hell. And so if I can make it, you can make it. And God was merciful with me, and I'm going to be merciful with you. And God gave grace to me, and I'm going to give grace to you. Right? Man, it should flow from within us. Flow from within us that we give ourselves because He gave Himself. That's the good news. He gave Himself so we give ourselves. The sixth person you might find today in hell is a church member who is picky but not purified. Picky but not purified. He says, verse 25, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you're full of robbery and self-indulgence. Clean the inside first, and the outside will become clean also. I don't know about you, but when we wash our dishes, we wash all of it, Right? You don't just, outside of that cereal bowl, mm, that's shiny and good, but there's leftover cornflakes from last week in there in the cabinet, right? No, it doesn't make any sense, right? Sometimes we look at this world like sin is contagious. Let me give you an example. For instance, sin isn't contagious in the way that we might think it is. You know where it starts? It grows from within us. I really don't got to worry about whether I'm not going to get your sin or not. I need to worry about whether or not I'm getting it in here, in my own heart. And it's like they became so worried about the new believer's dress than their heart. We can be so scared uh, about outwardly catching the filth of this world. What are we watching on TV? How long is my hair? What do I dress? What is my speech? Where do I go? Can I or cannot go there? Can I or cannot watch that? Those are all great things, by the way. We should separate ourselves from the world. But if we get so outwardly focused about sin, we'll quickly forget that it starts from within. And it starts from within me, right here. We can get so worried about catching the outward filth of this world that we become inwardly filthy on the inside. You know, we can stop drinking and smoking and cussing Get so pridefully religious that God can never use that vessel. That's what Jesus is saying. You are a vessel of the Holy Spirit. And God has purposed you for use. He sanctified you, consecrated you to be used according to His purposes. And if we're so worried about the outside and we forget about the inside, God can't use us. He's not going to eat cereal out of that cereal bowl. Right? we all worried about, man, what I look like. What does everybody think about me? How do I talk? And what, what movies am I watching? Is the pastor coming over? Make sure we put all those movies up. Right? That haven't happened here yet. You know, it's all about the inside, church. You clean the inside of that bowl, you'll be sure to clean the outside. The good news is this, church. Ezekiel 36 says God's going to give you a new heart when you accept Jesus Christ. He's going to put a new spirit within you. He's going to save you from all your uncleanliness. And you can be transformed. You can be washed. You can be reborn. And you can have a great purpose in God's great redemptive plan. That's the good news. And if that's, 
the news he's brought me. Why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't I take advantage of such great news and let the Holy Spirit just take over? Man, Holy Spirit, just get all in there, right? Just pour. I, I found a room I didn't have washed. And just, you know, God, take the Holy Spirit bleach and just cleanse the whole house, right? Just, just dump it. You know, I've been to some places before. You just wanted a gallon of bleach and just go crazy, right? Man, God, just be liberal with your Holy Spirit in my life. Take it all. And that's the kind of person who's going to make heaven. That's the kind of person that's not religious or tradition. But they're purified by the Holy Spirit. Seventh, admired, but they're not alive. There are a lot of admirable people in hell today. There are a lot of successful people in hell today. There are a lot of good people in hell today. He says to these guys, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, you churchgoers here. He says, You are like whitewashed tombs. On the outside you appear beautiful, but inside you're full of dead men's bones and all uncleanliness. He says to these, Jewish tombs were white. Uh, a lot of them were really ornate. You go down to New Orleans today, there's some really awesome cemeteries, which kind of makes no sense when you think about it. Who is that for, right? Okay, so there's all these huge ornate tombs, just like you think about in New Orleans, over on top of the... T- and they would paint them white, and sometimes there'd be small ones to make sure they paint them white, because in Jewish society, the law would say if you touch one of those tombs and accidentally stepped on it, you are unclean. You can't go to church this Sunday, in our terms, right? And so he's like... You guys are making sure you look beautiful. You're painting yourselves white so you know that that's unholy and that's holy and that's not holy. And making sure everything in your life is all put together. But inwardly, again, you're just dead. You know, there are some people today in America, they are outwardly living the good life. They're going to church. They're living up the American dream. They've got the house, the two cars. They've got that working dad that everybody loves. They've got the do-it-all mom who takes her kids to all the practices and does all the PTA meetings. they got that nice, beautiful family picture on Facebook. Every month they update it. And they have behind it, though, if you'd hear the arguments in their marriage, if you'd see the way their kids really behave at home, if you see their checkbook and where their financials are really put towards, if you see their devotional life and their prayer, they ain't really alive at all. That's many in the American church today. Outwardly, they may be admirable and look like they got it all together, but inwardly, they're as dead as dead men. Man, they care more about what people, people whether or not people know they went to church than actually going itself. I, 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 I look at this phrase and it says, you know, <clears throat> hey honey, people are going to be wondering about us if we don't at least go to church once this month. Who are we going to church for? Right? Hope none of y'all had said that phrase, all right? We better at least go once this month. They may or may not know that we still go there. Are you more worried about those people or Jesus who's the one who's noticing? God, help us, church, to be a people who are alive. Alive. He says the good news is that Jesus has made you Uh, God has made you alive with Christ. You are no longer the old man, but the old passes away. The new comes. The Holy Spirit comes from within you. And there is a new birth, a born-again experience. There is something to be excited about. I want to go to church. I want to read my Bible. I want to pray. I want to tell somebody about the good news of Jesus Christ. There is something living inside of me. And I hope that God would have that experience in all of His children. God, that there would be some awakening 
to a passionate relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not about all the outward things. All those are good. Have a nice house and car. Oh, I'm not downing any of that stuff. Change your Facebook profile every now and again. That's okay, right? But be alive. Let there be something more that when people look at you, and I can imagine that when they saw Jesus, there's like this fire burning in his eyes, this passion for the things of God. Because there's a, a love. Love the Lord your God with everything. Everything. And lastly, there are those who have a lot of reflection, but not revival. Those who have a lot of reflection, but not revival. He says in verse 29, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. And he's told them this eight times over. Maybe they'll get it at the end. He says, You're building up tombs of the prophets and adorning the monuments of the righteous and say, If we'd be living in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partners with them in the shedding of the blood of the prophets. He says... You're looking back at the Old Testament and saying, God, if we had been there when that happened, we would have followed you. Don't we say the same thing today in the church? God, if I had been on that Sea of Galilee, I would have left all and followed you too. We're not willing to go on Sunday. Mm. God, if I had saw that miracle, I would have believed you and that word of God would have went forth from Galilee and I would have been on that boat. I would have been on that that holy train going down to Jordan, right? And yet, we don't believe the Word of God that we have in our hands. God, if I would have been there, I would have believed. Lord, I would not have been one of those Pharisees. Yeah, you preach to those Pharisees, God. You tell those unbelievers, God. But yet, where's our revival? Where's our passion for prayer? Where's our faith that moves mountains? Where's our belief that every believer in this room has the authority in Jesus Christ to cast out demons, to heal the sick, to see the lame walk, to preach the gospel from now till he comes? Man, church, we can have all the reflection on this word we want, but if it don't change us, we're just whitewashed tombs. We're just people building up monuments of the path and saying, past and looking back and say, Oh God, thank you, Lord, that I'm not like that. Lord, I know the truth, I know the truth, but yet we never do it. I love the Scott Martin, he's a, a missionary for Chi Alpha International. And he says he was not raised in church, and he read the verse in Mark chapter 16 where it says, These shine, signs shall follow those who believe, they'll cast out demons in my name, they'll heal the sick, they'll raise it. All right? Speak with new tongues. Pick up deadly things and it won't hurt them, right? Drink deadly poison and it won't hurt them. He says, I thank God that I had never had anybody in my life to tell me or show me that that's not possible for me. And so he's seeing miracles and healings and resurrections and all that because we believe it, read it, believe it, and do it. May we be a people, not just here to reflect on these things, but let God birth it in revival. In us. You know what revival means? It means to repent and let God renew you. God, take me deeper. God, I'm ready to cast off the old man and let the new man come. And because Jesus said to these people, man, they are a people who see, but they don't see. They hear, but they don't hear. And they try to understand, but they don't have any understanding. There's some good news today, church, that Jesus answers the prayer of those who are humbled and hungry for more of him. Man, He is here and ready to answer us. And if I would just simply believe that Jesus has given me a righteous life, a holiness, a new beginning, a a presence of God living inside of me, that I have this new man, 
And there's a righteous life that's worth even being persecuted for. That's what he says. Blessed are the persecuted. Why? Because they understand, God, it is worth it. Not about being persecuted. The life, the righteousness you've given me. God, I don't even have to be persecuted. I'm willing to talk to people about it. God, I'm willing to testify about it. God, I'm willing to go the distance in it because I know what you've given me is worth something. It's worth it. And if it takes being persecuted, I'll go there too because it's still worth it. This righteous life you've given me. I don't need no religion to tell me what to do. I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's a living, living sacrifice that I have. It's a joy of the Holy Spirit that becomes my strength. It's not somebody that's saying, here's the five steps to get you a better life. It is a personal, dynamic, infilling relationship with Jesus Christ. It should be so exciting, you can't contain it. There should be some joy, some overfilling, some some sacrifice that comes into our life. And we say, God, thank you that I am an heir in heaven. That's the good news. You and I, we don't have to be hypocrites in hell. We can be heirs in heaven. Amen. Amen? Amen? That's something worth getting that frown and turning it upside down, right? I mean, it's something worth getting happy about, right? And we can be careful to obey all the man-made rules. We can follow all the tradition of attending church and tithing, and, and we can do all the right Christian phrases, and we can still be inwardly a mess. But here's the good news, church. God so loved you and me and all the other hypocrites out there, because we all are, right? He loves all of us hypocrites, that He sent His Son to die even for the Pharisee. Amen. Man, that's good news. There's good, you don't, nobody has to go to hell anymore. That's good news. God's grace is so great, His love never failing, that we can not only just be forgiven, but you can be transformed by the newness in Jesus Christ. He says, Come to Me, come under My authority, I'll give you rest. Worship team, would you come back? Every head bowed, every eye closed. We are called blessed when we are poor in spirit, mournful of our sin, meek in His Word, merciful to others, pure in heart, peacemakers who believe we have a righteousness, something God's given that's worth being persecuted for. Church, that's something worth getting excited about. Persecuted or not, it's something He's given you, something worth being excited about. Are we here just to obey all the rules and follow the traditions? Are we here for a revival in our hearts? God, take us deeper. God, shrug off all the old man. Put in the new. Lord, we want more of You. More of You, God. More of you, God. Jesus, Holy Spirit, welcome in this moment. Father, I pray you'd touch, talk to every heart in life here today. God, we are ready for a moving of the Holy Spirit in this place. God, our hearts are expectant. God, our hands are open. Lord, our hearts are ready to receive all that you have for us, God. I pray, Lord Jesus, come move now. We were coming, Lord, that we'd be a people of anticipation. Lord, a people of excitement, people who have a radical relationship with the Spirit of the living God, Jesus Christ.
Lord, there is no reason any of us should enter into hell. Because, God, we can be heirs of heaven. Jesus, holy, holy God. Lord, I pray you'd sanctify us. Let this set in. God, let us not be people who are all about their tradition, the show, the appearance, the rote, the memorization, the levels of Christianity, but God, be a people who are conformed into your image, who are committed, who are zealous, who are truth talkers, truth walkers, and who are in a living relationship with a God who is calling them deeper every day. And Lord, may I not look down this word of God and say, yes, God, that would have been me, I would have followed you, and yet, God, in the very same moment, I'm not right with you. I need you, Jesus. You're here today and you say, Pastor Heath, just from the very beginning, if I died today, I do not know where I would spend eternity. And I want to be sure today. I want to confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And maybe you're not saved today and you knew that coming in here that you weren't right with God. I say, God, I want that relationship with you. And church members, I'm going to talk to us here in a second. But if you're here today and you say, God... I need to be saved. I want to submit to Jesus Christ. I'm tired of living my life my own way because it's not working out. It just leads me into the same cycles of behavior and the negativity and all the bad things that come with it, the shame, the regret, the loneliness, the despair, the history that I want to forget. Today I'm ready to make a real, real fresh start. If you're here today and that's you, would you just raise your hand? I want to pray with you. Jesus, hallelujah, thank you. Anybody else? God, I just want to be real with you today. God, I want to have peace with you. Holy Spirit. Hallelujah, Lord God. Thank you, thank you. The Bible says that God is so faithful and just that when we confess our sin, He will forgive us of all unrighteousness. And it becomes a real confession when it's more than out of our lips but it's out of our hearts that we believe in Jesus Christ and we say, God, I want you to be my Savior. Father, I know you promised to be my friend, but God, I want to make you Lord, Master, Supreme Authority over my life, over the way I think, the way I act, the way I talk, where I go with my life, how I spend it. And so, Father, if it's, that's our heart's cry, if there's those in this room today, God, we confess Jesus Christ as Lord, Savior, and friend of our lives. And God, we believe that you rose on the third day, that you're coming back, that you are the Son of the Most High God. And Lord, I believe your word is true, and I give my life to serve you willingly, joyfully, sacrificially, God, knowing that you will bless me and keep me. And Lord, Lord, help me with your Holy Spirit to follow you all the days of my life, and to profess you, to tell the world what you've done for me, that my life would be a testimony of your greatness, God, of your grace. You believe that, you confess that, you renewed that attitude in your heart today, God. You are saved. You are saved. Don't let the devil tell you otherwise. And church members today, where are we at? Let's take off the facade, the masks, the fake fronts, just like that house, number 23. Are we just some facade hiding something deeper? We know we've got problems in our life, and... You, you may be saved here today. 
You may be sitting here and, and you might be well on your way to heaven, but are you living victoriously? Are you living passionately? You're going to have ups and downs. You're going to have things that you can't make it through alone. But is there a relationship, a burning, a fire, a flame, a revival in your heart that keeps you going, that keeps you hungry for more of God? And is there things in your life you could look and say, you know what, I've really been relying on the Sunday morning service to keep me saved. I've really been relying on that tithing to keep me faithful and giving. I've really been relying on this or that. Knowing whether or not someone is going to see me do this or that, that's really what's been keeping me being obedient. But has it really been out of a passionate relationship, out of a love? Love the Lord your God with all you've got. And Father, there are those here today, and you say, God, that's me. That's me. I need that revival. I need that renewal.